plant-based business podcast powered by Vevolution. It's good to be back. Today's guest was Jonathan Petridis. JP, as he's affectionately known, is a co-founder of All Plants. Starting with a background in developing Africa's first mobile bank, three years ago, JP moved back to the UK and around the same time became vegan. All Plants started from supper clubs all the way up to delivered meals. And today, over 80 staff and building Europe's largest plant-based kitchen. JP shares wisdom on how to grow and manage a business, which has come close to selling almost 1 million plant-based meals. Really enjoyed this one. And as always, if you liked it, please leave comments in the, in the comments section, share, tell your friends, and like and subscribe. Enjoy. For those that, for those that don't know, how do, how do you, as a... As an entrepreneur, get to a position where you can start a plant-based food company delivering meals all over the country. What was the journey for you to get to that position where you could start all plants with your with your brother? I think if anybody who has has been perhaps foolish enough to start something from scratch knew what they were getting themselves into, you probably wouldn't get started. In terms of what got us started, definitely a healthy dose of naivety. Oh, naivety is the number one ingredient for any <laughs> right. business, isn't it? If you don't have that, then you can't do anything because you just, you just know how hard it's going to be. So before All Plants had been, um, I threw away my suit and tie, I guess you could say, uh, which is where I started in the professional world for a couple of years after uni. Earned my stripes and did horrendous hours and worked for mega companies and really quite quickly felt like helping big companies work out how to make a bit more profit or grow their market share or survive whatever big industry scare they were dealing with was pretty boring and and also just felt start pretty quickly like uh first of all advising people and not doing something as not for me I, I was i was like i want to make stuff happen and it's so annoying when you've done all that work and then people are like oh maybe we'll do it what so i i, I went i went mad about that and then i guess the other thing was i i really felt like Everything was sorted here in London. I actually, I actually felt like we were all lemmings. Like everyone was just, this is 10 years ago, right? And all I knew was everyone was kind of waking up every morning, uh, putting their suit on, getting on the, going underground in this like dark tube, going into big buildings, spending their 10, 12 hours in them, going to the pub to kind of dose themselves up and then rinse and repeat the next day. It's just like, what's, like, what's the point in that? Um, so yeah, so then basically spent the last 10 years and in, in the build up to wall plants, trying to find... Um, socially intractable problems that had the potential for for a really big impact change by just actually focusing on trying to solve them um, and trying to do it with excellence and with passion. Um, so yeah, so that it, it was a mad adventure. I mean, it still is, uh, and I feel like I'm still at the beginning of it. And so, and so, where did you end up? Where did that take you? Well. I had never set foot in Africa before and I don't know how I convinced myself this was a good idea, but I basically quit McKinsey where I was working and the next Monday I flew out to Nairobi to try and launch Africa's first mobile phone-based bank. And this is back in the day before smartphones, before even WAP enabled, I'm talking like Nokia 3210s, uh, SMS-based payments and trying to build a new way for people to, to borrow and to save money on their phone. So that was... Kind of crazy at the age of 24, deciding to start a bank. It turns out it's pretty hard. Uh, like, really? Yeah, for, <laughs> for like a bunch of reasons. I just, again, didn't really think through and then learned by doing. Yeah. There's many ups and downs of building things. Um, but, you know, the, the first 
bite of the cherry of that. We had two years of, of amazing progress and of, we were prototyping something that no one had ever done before. So actually our first um, investment, which came from the World Bank and DFID, which is a UK government body focused on international development, uh, they gave us the first $70,000. This is something I raised from them. And they said, we'll give you this, but we won't give you the rest, which was half a million, uh, unless you can show us that people will actually pay it back. So we, so we went and lent to around 150 people. And we, we were like, if this doesn't work, we're going to pack up our bags within months, right? Um, and fortunately, about, you know, 100, I remember it was 134 people paid back within a month. And we were, just went back with that. And they were like, whoa okay, maybe this will work. And, you know, we carried on from there. Um, so, so that was part of the journey. Um, and uh, Was there anything specific you learned from that experience that's paid dividends with all plants? I think the things that you learn the most from are the things you get wrong. Probably my biggest learning from that was twofold. One is um, I started the venture with a couple of people who I really didn't know that well. Uh, I'd met them through my previous work and they were experts in their field. They really knew about mobile banking and payments and, and had really good connections to the central bank and um, Safaricom, who are like the Vodafone of, of Kenya. So I was like, yeah, these are great people to business partner with. And then actually two years in, I was the guy who'd moved to Nairobi. I was the guy who changed my life and was giving up everything to build it. And they were still in London and New York. And I worked out that in the first two years, between them, they spent 10 days in Nairobi. And yet they owned the majority of what we were building together because they were the experienced people, right? And when, when, when uh, push came to shove and stuff got really hard, they flaked and they actually pulled out and they made it really difficult. And in the end, I had to actually shut down the first version of the venture, laid off a whole team of 15 people who'd put in so much sweat and tears to get us to where we'd got to uh, because of effectively a co-founder falling out. So that was tough. Um, and to be honest, I, I, I think I'd still be really scarred by that if I hadn't gotten really lucky with what I, what I built next, which is a healthcare company, which I, uh, kind of fell into with a couple of really good friends who I really respected. And they just had this crazy idea. And I said, oh, I'll help you out with the fundraising. And then, you know, eight years later, we're still building it. I'm not massively involved, but we had a crazy early journey the first three, four years. And I learned so much from working with two people who I really love and respect uh, and who I really trust, you know, and we had each other's backs. And, you know, obviously it started all plants with my brother, Alex. Um, and, you know, I, I, I felt really strongly when I moved back to the UK after being in Kenya for over five years that I needed to be really patient. And part of that patience was finding who the right people or person to work with would be, regardless of what we were going to do. So that was a big learning. I think that's for me. such an important point. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like it's like getting into a relationship with someone. It's like marrying someone, building yeah. a business business with someone. And it's you can't do it purely based on, you know, the logic of this person's an expert. This person has capital. That this it's it's so much deeper than that. It has not, to be yeah. shared be purpose and understanding. Right? It has yeah. to be a connection, a deep yeah. set of values. Yeah, and, and and actually, look, ideally, um, a previous relationship. You know, mm. whether whether it's um, a romantic relationship which Damien's <laughs> managed to make happen really well um which is and which has its challenges whether it's uh, a family relationship which again can work really well but has its challenges or whether it's someone you've uh, known since you were born and it is like a lifelong friend or someone you've worked with on another really intense project whether it's in a startup or in a big business doesn't matter if you've had the opportunity to be close with someone and really uh, feel each other's vibes and understand what makes each other tick then that sets you up 
in a much stronger way as partners going And I think it pays dividends to to have patience in cultivating that relationship and that process and not rushing into something without truly understanding the other person or the other people that that you're building it with. Big time. When um, When you move back then to the UK... Where does the, I guess, the vegan plant-based part of this journey begin? And how does that play into wanting to create all plants? Yeah, well, um, it actually started while I was still in Nairobi because I met my wife Delphi there. And uh, around the time I met her, she just turned veggie. Well, actually, initially pesky. And I, and I was like, wow, this person's so amazing. I can't believe she has such values. Like, what, what, what an incredible person. I could never do this, but wow, you know, this person's amazing. And I also was desperately trying to impress her with everything I did because <laughs> I was falling over myself to, 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 to do my best to get her to like me. Uh, and so very quickly, I was like, yeah, yeah, I can do this uh, pesky thing. I'm into it. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Obviously trying to convince her to move in with me, et cetera. Um, so so went, went down that path, but only at home. And for a good, like, two, three years, um, I was kind of gradually more and more pescatarian and then veggie at home, but still literally com- the complete opposite when I was out and about, just just doing everything I always had done, whether it was having a burger, a steak, or obviously as a red-blooded Cypriot, Chef Dalia, Suvlakia, Halloumi, all of these things. Like, uh, that was just my norm, right? Um, and I, it was weird because, you know, after the mobile bank, my next venture is a health and wellness business you know and like we're all about preventative care and using food as medicine and I'd never that had never permeated my assessment of how I live I'd never even thought about it despite the fact that I was really into marathons and I'd run like the the world's hardest marathon in this desert at two and a half thousand meters in Kenya which I'd nearly imploded on by the way that was a, that's a whole other story what, what marathon was that it's called the lower marathon and uh the average temperature during it was around 37 degrees I, li- I literally collapsed over the finish line and then I found out the magic of an IV drip. <laughs> IV drips are unbelievable, honestly. <laughs> Is that how you're keeping going at all plants? <laughs> I, w- I wish, I wish I could. Yeah. Yeah. Run, if, I could if I could have an IV drip for every time I'm uh, either exhausted or, by the way, hung over, I think, I think you know, I, I would be able to operate at a whole nother level. They're so good. Within Honestly, I collapsed. I could barely talk. And within 20 minutes, I was back to just like, I'm fine. Anyway, that's could've the Could have done with one of those. Could have done one of those this morning. I mean, I was going to say, Louis. Yeah. But... <laughs> um, so, but but yeah. So I I'd, I'd kind of been on this health journey on, in in some ways, but I hadn't really properly engaged with what I ate in a full way. Um, uh, and even on the ethics side, I had a lot of friends who were going veggie five, six years ago, and all of them were telling me about things. And I, I read Jonathan Safran Fur like six years ago, Eating Animals, amazing book, came out of that telling everyone they can't eat chicken ever again. And I probably spent about two months refusing to eat chicken. And then I just lapsed back to old habits. Um, so that was all that was all prior. And then uh, just over, well, I, mean, I guess it's, yeah, just over four years ago um, in the kind of, uh, the tornado of discovery for me was definitely kickstarted by the release of Cowspiracy. Um, and what followed, I, have, I was doing a lot of my own work at the time and I had a lot of time to, if I found something interesting, just go really, really deep into it. And this grabbed me in a very personal way. You know, I very quickly felt extremely convinced that in the next couple of decades, if we do not move uh, the entirety of humanity's appetite significantly over to a more plant-based diet leave alone an all plant-based diet uh then we're i mean everything's done like it's game over 
Um, and as soon as, as soon as you really take that in, and I felt like I drew myself into a bit of a logical corner. The next step was undoubtedly, well, I need to do something about this myself first. Um, I don't know what else, what else can I do? Um, and I, yeah, so I, I started out eating, uh, a little bit more plant-based and I was like, okay, I'm just going to commit, did a month as an experiment. Um, and it was great. And I guess at the time I had loads of free time to enjoy the journey into what's actually quite confusing, challenging, uh, and particularly from a what do I eat perspective for a lot of people, if you don't enjoy cooking or don't have the time, forget about it. Like it's, it's so, it's just so intimidating. There's how on earth do I, do I flip, reverse these two, three, four recipes that I've known all my life to make them now in, in this thing called vegan or plant-based? Like, it's too it's too much and everyone's got way too much on their plate and you know but for me it was really fun because i think if you do enjoy cooking it's actually a challenge you're like right how can i do this how can i reinvent lasagna because that's the thing that i was brought up on once a week mum would cook like the most insane lasagna right i, I really want to prove to myself that i can have that and not be going without and not be having to live like a monk uh because to be quite honest with you i am no monk I can't do that. Like, I, I really believe that part of the purpose of life is around pleasure and joy. Uh, and so for me, it was really important to conquer that. And so that was very personal and a lot of fun. And I also quite quickly, I don't know about you guys, but I quite quickly found that everywhere I went, whether I was catching up with one friend for a coffee or at a dinner party table, every single person would, would say to me, what on earth? Like, why have you gone vegan? Are you mad? And then you'd get this like list of repeated questions, you know, a couple of dozen things, you know, and where do you get your protein from? But it's, it's flipped but I, now. It's flipped it's, completely. Yeah. It, but it's also, but <laughs> back in the day, like it has flipped. This is like yeah. four, years, four ago. years ago. Yeah. 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 So it was, it was those questions. It was also like, yeah, but um, avocados use loads of water or like uh, quinoa is there's a quinoa shortage in Bolivia. And you're just like. And so you end up having to explain yourself over and over and over till you're blue in the face. Yeah. And it was driving me nuts, right? And, and I quite quickly realized, actually, you know what? It doesn't matter what I say. When, when, in, in, in these conversations, you can't change someone's opinion by just answering their questions. All I can do is show them how delicious it is. And so that's what I started doing. I just started making at any chance, anyone who was, I was going around to for and dinner. In, and in a practical sense, the way I guess this, the, the, the embryonic stage of this business, essentially you cooking for other people to show them, hey, look, this is actually really, really nice. Yeah. Really easy. Yeah. And there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of choices that you probably never knew about when you're eating uh, animal products. That, are, that, that you can enjoy because you've just, you've just had yeah. it. It's such a, easy and much more fluid conversation starter so how does that become a business well um to be honest even when i started thinking about it i was like there's no way there's no way i can do this this is insane like i like i don't know anything about food i've been doing like mobile app banking and healthcare like what what on earth could i know to do this um and so i was working on a bunch of other crazy very harebrained and useless ideas at the time uh and actually i was i I'd, alex and i so my brother who's been he, at this point he'd been a proper con for about six years uh and he was uh you know brand and marketing director and, and loving it doing great things but i'd always we'd always been talking on the side about like wouldn't it be cool to build something together that'd be so fun um so and and he this is the crazy part in the same week that I made this decision to go try and do an experiment, he called a overnight, I'm going vegan decision, just did it. 
So actually, when I caught up with him, I was really excited. I was like, guess what I'm doing? I'm doing this vegan experiment. He was like, oh, I've already, I'm already vegan. Did, he was like, didn't you see my blog I wrote? I'm like, no, I didn't see your blog, man. So I read his blog. I was like, okay, he's beating me to it. It was really annoying. Um, so, so we were kind of, I guess, experiencing that same personal journey uh, in the run-up to Christmas, actually, back in 2015. And, um, and it was over Christmas that we, we were all together as a family and... I guess because mum now had to cater to two sons who are vegan and my sister went veggie in the same year. So all three of us were just like, yeah, say goodbye to Turkey. Let's do something exciting and different. So we just cooked the whole Christmas while we were at home together. Um, and I was at the time trying to convince Al to leave Propicorn to do something, some other idea. And then he was just like, dude, we don't give a shit about this. And who cares about it? It's not going to help the planet. Why don't we, there's got to be something we can do to actually help take vegan mainstream and completely redefine the conversation, change the dialogue, make it more aspirational, more accessible, and also more importantly, show people how delicious it can be. And so we just started thinking, okay, well, how do we riff on that? And what did you come up with? <laughs> What's the first name? <laughs> yeah, well, you, you actually won't believe me on this. I was, I, I was I, I, within about three or four weeks of us having that conversation, I canceled all other projects I was involved in. Uh, and just went, I was just like, right, I'm going for this. I, I really believe, I think this is the, the, the thing. I don't know what it's going to be. At first we thought it was going to be a chain of restaurants. Uh, I really loved a chain called Sweet Greens in the States. And I was like, man, if we bring model. that here. But it's just beautiful food yeah. as well. Yeah. It just, it's all about fresh, well, I've just natural. just back from New York and it's on every block. There yeah. seems to be a sweet Cute, green. And queues yeah. out the door, yeah. right? Because that's what everyone wants. Uh, so you're like, well, if we brought that here, we'll just blow people away. Um and that's the thing we, we we actually really felt it was it was a trip to new york uh in january that made us realize man it, the future of foods already exists it's just no one has access to it yet if this existed and the supply was everywhere everyone would be going nuts for it we don't need to convince people we just need to put it everywhere and then that'll be that and that, that and then it was just like well how do we do that as fast as possible uh was the question we kept coming back to yeah, so I was. I'm quite glad that we we quickly realised that uh, it was going to be crazy expensive to try and launch a chain and, and and get it to the scale where we would really impact the problem fast. Um, and you know, and that we weren't the right people to do that. We just felt like I don't know, like that. There's so much capital required, and um, it's a, it's a really tough game in London to do that. So, so then we carried on thinking about it and and meanwhile we were running weekly supper clubs which was so fun by the way i love i, I spent a lot of time as a waiter as a like a kid and as a student and um i just love hosting and it was also an amazing way to get such rapid feedback on every dish we were cooking so i was in the kitchen three days a week and then we'd run one supper club on tuesday nights and then serve all these meals and then we started saying well what if we freeze them and then reheat them and, and everyone loved it and then people started saying, well, can I can I take a few home with me? Because I want them for dinner tomorrow night. I just want to touch on that as well. I think there's so much to be said about taking small steps forward, small, seemingly small actions to gain momentum. So coming up with the idea for cooking for people and then, then immediately doing a supper club is such a great way to not only get proof of concept, but equally gather some momentum and start the conversation yeah, oh, and totally. start things happening, right? Yeah. I, I, I think you're so right, Louis. Like one of the hardest things when you're sat there noodling on an idea, and and here's the thing, everyone says that 90% of startups fail, right? But I think there's another 90% before those startups even start of really brilliant ideas that don't even get to see the light of day because people don't know how to take the step one and just start putting one foot in front of the other. Uh, so for someone listening then, 
for any idea what does that look like how do we go out when we've got an idea and we've got these big grandiose ideas right. of changing the world yeah how do you take the first step what is a small step someone can take I guess it is very, very specific to any totally, anything totally, building, yeah. right? And and uh, and so I, I don't think there's any. I, I've not discovered a magic playbook for this, but um, I think it's it's really important to try to boil your idea down uh, to its. Uh, everyone uses the word MVP, right? Minimum viable product. Yeah. But, but what that means is it's the, the smallest smallest version of what you're trying to do. How can you get to that existing as soon as possible so that you can literally put it in people's hands or their mouths on our behalf uh, to see and learn what they think? Totally. And, and with that, and the power of learning is just exponential. Once you start learning and work out how to keep learning, then there's nothing that can stop you if you can work out how to keep doing that. And obviously do it on the lightest budget possible. Yeah. That's so you guys, vital. It's a case of boiling it down, exposing people do it, to it, Gaining feedback, adapting it, repeating the process. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, that's literally what we, uh, every week we were back in the kitchen following, we had all these little uh, cutesy, I mean, the, the branding of them was, was very different to what we ended up coming up with, but these cutesy little tasting note cards that everyone, there were about 10 people at each supper club and everyone wrote all of their uh, feedback on them. So then we'd assimilate it and try to understand it. We'd also have like a little discussion at the end. Um, and then and we get back in the kitchen. You reinvent the wheel on these things. Like, you no. haven't got to make it complex. Like right. you said, in your case, it was literally, here's a piece of paper yeah. with a pencil, write down your feedback, then let's have a discussion about the feedback and let's take that data, go back in. And literally and go back to the kitchen. We're yeah. going to take it back to the kitchen, which is so simple. Yeah. You know? um, we try to keep that kind of uh, mindset and approach in everything we do at all plants and just always find a way to to test things really quickly and 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 put them in people's for us now people's homes or bring people into our kitchen to come and have a taste so so was that was that stage then you said people started asking to freeze it and take that take it home was that how the idea was seeded by people literally asking to freeze and take home we were we were thinking about it lightly as an, as a way that we can make things happen but we weren't sure and then when people started asking we we're like wow this is this this could be real uh and we think we can do this uh and so then you know so we started there was like 101 problems to solve to actually make that a reality uh but the thing we we were really excited about was the way that the supper clubs put our community at the heart of everything we did we felt by um if we could find a way to turn our kitchen into something a kitchen without walls that could be we could cook the food for anyone anywhere in the uk or maybe beyond there um, and then if we can reach you in your home, whether you're in the Outer Hebrides in Scotland or like uh, Cardiff, Brighton, or of course, London, all over the place, you know, we'll we'll serve you meals and we can be there for you weekly or monthly or whatever suits will we'll fit around you. <clears throat> and, and working out how to do that um, has stayed really at the heart of everything we, we've, we've always tried to do. So do you think that sort of early experience of like making food for your friends and having a supper club is why you kind of went down the route of we're going to make everything ourselves we're not going to get a manufacturer we're going to build our own kitchen and this is how we're going to do that do you think that kind of maybe fed into yeah although i know a lot of people who go from supper clubs to trying to find a co-packer because and, and then throwing their product into a supermarket our decision to cook ourselves uh probably again good dose of naivety and, and foolishness but at the same time we 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 really went and got a lot of advice from from people who had built major food uh, brands and uh, food manufacturing in the past of really high quality food 
And we, it was just so obvious to us that if we were really going to have an impact and really redefine what is such a frontier of culinary invention, then we have to have our hands on the cooking. We can't just say, yeah, we're all about the future of food and then someone else is actually making it and we're just like a fancy brand. That doesn't work. Um, so your so values have to practically underpin everything. what you do. Yeah, yeah. and, and you know, we, we, as we've got into it, we've learned that there's so much more we can do, not just in terms of really redefining what healthy, convenient, prepared food can be in terms of the quality of it which for, for we've you know it's been a, a long journey and the food that you guys taste in the early days you know that was again that was mvp and we had to be willing to be pretty embarrassed by the quality of food we were putting out versus where we wanted to get to because we knew it was going to be a journey um and you know we've, we've gone on that journey now and we'll always be on that journey but the quality of our food now is like a whole i mean everything from all plants the kitchen and that you can get on allplants.com is is really outstanding and we're winning awards left right and center and we wouldn't have got there if we weren't willing to start by putting something out that so, we thought was so almost that, good that enough. initial part then you have the idea to do frozen meals delivered what does it look like in a practical sense to getting started like did you raise money did you did you start with well, we, a small kit like how did, how did it start well, actually the, by the way damien asked earlier about what was the first pro like how do we how do we uh name the project to start with yeah. and again in, in in the spirit of just getting started and focusing on what we needed to do next i didn't want to go on a long journey of trying to name this thing because we didn't know what it was going to be i had no idea so i always i'd created a habit from years before of always just putting a square bracket project name on everything and i'd always used all whatever it is so i'd had like all grad stars for this crazy development program i'd thought about and all, all sorts of other things and so i just put all plants and we left it there for about six months and then when we just before we launched our prototype which was in september 16 uh to like family and friends we were desperately trying to come up with a name that we thought was like a legit name and we literally looked at like thousands of names and got so much advice from people <laughs> and then none of them stuck and then and quite a few people just kept on saying yeah but all plants just actually says it all like there's no it just makes sense like why wouldn't you just do that and so in the end we kind of almost quite reluctantly we're like oh yeah i guess we've been sat there with it the whole time <laughs> that was part of the process but but then um but yeah basically alex and i were uh in you know in very much a uh terrified but grit your teeth way we're just pouring everything we had and you know we'd I'd, I'd been saving up as much as i could from my previous ventures and bits of consulting al had done the same from proper corn um and so we, we we chucked all our cash together to allow us to build a website um to 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 invest in things like working out how we could actually ship nationwide and make it sustainable and not use horrible crappy polystyrene or high high grade um, and low recyclability plastic so we we, we got a world a, a europe first um denim upcycled fiber insulation which we've now we used to bring in a container from the us um but we've now reverse engineered and we make it here in the uk so we've, we're actually on our fifth generation of packaging because we're always trying to make it more sustainable and better quality so we had to invest in that and then the big thing we had to invest in was a kitchen because at the time we were renting in a space i mean a minuscule space you know it was like a it was like a galley kitchen and it came in there back in the early days well, the, when you, yeah. the rented place was yeah. made in hackney yeah i popped in with sarah and she said there's yeah. this new startup called all plants you should come and meet jp and i think i came in that's the first time we met we met yeah and it, it it's it's so small in there and i was <laughs> apron know. on running around yeah. trying to get, get create these dishes you know people pulling stuff out of the ovens yeah. and 
Um, but that, but that rented space, we quickly outgrew and, and Sarah and the team at Made in Hackney were amazing supporters of us. And they put up with us really busting at the seams there. Um, but we were like, we need to build, we need to have our own kitchen. This is insane. Um, so then we put literally all of our last savings in to open this kitchen. And the weird thing is we're having massive, um, kind of, uh, flashbacks at the moment because we're basically doing the same thing with our new kitchen right now so three years ago we opened our new kitchen on the 20th of december and had two days to get cooking in advance of the when we were meant to be launching for the for veganuary in 2017 such a good example of i think when you go into business you think your biggest problem is going to be attracting customers and sales and that's what people look at i just need to turn over this much i need to sell this many Mm. But a lot of people neglect to look at the implications on that, on the infrastructure, on the operation side oh of, of, that, of that thing. Yeah. So the operations for you guys has been a challenge, growing and meeting the demand. Mm. But but obviously without the demands, you don't have a business. So how have you guys, obviously you obviously, obviously grown having a new kitchen and get to a millionth meal, a million meals is such an incredible milestone. What has been uh, instrumental in achieving that volume of sales? Yeah. Um Oh, man, so, so many learnings over the last few years. Um, but I think the the first and most important thing is we've been absolutely obsessed and had the, the most important thing has always remained uh, an obsession on customer happiness. And we very quickly learned and we kind of guessed it, but the, the most important thing there is our food. Mm. You know, we have to be uh, obsessed with making spectacular food every time. Um, and what we realize is that that doesn't just mean that the quality of the, the, the recipes that we already have is, is, is consistently awesome and that people, you know, really enjoy every time they sit down to have dinner with all plants. Um, but that we're constantly innovating and that we're running a kitchen where you really feel the pulse and the drive of us creating. Um, and so, you know, we launched back in 17 with six recipes, um, and we quite quickly realized that we need more recipes. Like this is not enough for people to really feel uh, excited about what we're doing. Um, and so, you know, over the last couple of years, and particularly in that first year, we grew from six recipes to around 15. Now we're at around 25, soon to be 30. Uh, and bringing that variety and that like spicy, vibrant, um, d- different sides to the, to our culinary offering is has been super important. So there's other aspects of our product as well. So the other parts that we focus on from a customer love perspective are the every touch point of the service experience. So like in the early days, we were using a courier called Yodel, who uh, may take issue with me mentioning how bad they were. But, you know, like they, they would fail on about 10% of our deliveries. And that is not a good experience. And it definitely is not seamless and easy and convenient, right? It's really annoying. So we spent a lot of time working with our partners and now DPD, you know, they're, they're excellent. They do a really good job for us. Uh, we're at like 99.7% on time in full, which is which is tough to, to, to do. And we want to make it 100 so there's all of those parts of the customer experience and, of course, our digital side of the experience as well, making that more exciting, fun, easy. Um, I would say that's definitely always lagged behind because we focus so much on the food. But we're trying to catch up with that now. Um, and the reason that that matters, this is something that people always quite easily lose focus on when we're talking about growth. It's not about going to get loads of more new people. You need to keep the people who've already 
got come to your restaurant or come to your events or tried our service you need to keep them loving you so that they'll actually support your business by sticking around but amplify you as well and become your advocates and for us that word of mouth and community hype has been our number one growth driver since day one um and i think it all comes from that obsession of what we do in the kitchen what are the key learnings from an operational standpoint in terms of our what's the most important thing that's allowed us to even do what we've done thus far and that actually I think will allow us to do so much more going forward the only thing is team like it's just so so vitally important to focus as as a as a founder and as a, as a leader of something that you're tr where you're trying to really create momentum and growth to focus like a crazy person on your team um, and on finding truly outstanding people. And by the way, being really patient when you when you can't find the right person, it's so much better to wait, as painful as it is. And I've had some painful periods where I've had to wait long, long times until the process finally services someone fantastic as, you know, for example, our new uh, development chef, uh, Joey, who joined the team just over a year ago, and it's just completely transformed the quality of our innovation. So across the board, nothing would operate uh, if it wasn't for having an incredible team and a team who who really feel together and who really feel bonded by a shared mission um, and a set of values that, that uh, help us know what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Okay, got some questions to finish with. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hot fire round. Question one. Why do you get up in the morning? <laughs> Well, I I don't know, guys. I feel so lucky and uh, fortunate to have something in all plants that feels like a mission of a lifetime. Um, and you know, it, it 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 most of the time literally makes me spring out of bed. And much to Delphi's annoyance, often on uh, Saturdays and Sundays at six a.m. too, uh, because there's just so much to do, and I feel like you know there's not enough time and. Uh, we, we really want to make an impact. Cool. So next one, what problem are you trying to solve with your business? I guess I've probably talked about it already, but at its core, we believe that there's a real need to take the compromise out of eating more plants and to show the world that it can be exciting. It can be easy. It doesn't require monk-like dedication and you don't have to be a hippie or a placard-toting radical person to actually try this out a little bit. Uh, and if we can do that little bit with a lot of people, it's going to have such an enormous impact. Which resource has had the biggest impact on your business? Oh, this is a hard one. Um, I, the, 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 thing, the two things that I'm thinking between is the incredible array of people who've just given us so much advice and help and guidance to navigate every the challenges i mean we literally run into brick walls every single day and majority of the time we don't have a clue what to do about them and it's only with people you can turn to friends family mentors advisors investors that we'll always find a way um and the the other resource of course is you know and I, and I think this is very exciting for the plant-based scene is that, you know, when we started out, we were just told we were two kind of flip-flop wearing hippie brothers. And like, what are you talking about? This isn't going to be the next startup to, to change the world. And within 12 months, actually, um, you know, the investment community are really, really waking up to the fact that the climate crisis is the, is our generation's 
biggest investment opportunity without a doubt. Um, and so that's had a big impact in allowing us to mobilize a lot of, you know, financial resource to, to try to create momentum. Great. Yeah, I can agree more. Um, what are your top three books or podcasts you recommend to entrepreneurs? I mean, I, this is a <laughs> list longer than my arms. Um, I guess, yeah, podcast wise, uh, I got to give a shout out to my buddies, Dan um, and Rich, who run Secret Leaders. Uh, they've been working really hard at that for three seasons now. And it's such a great window into some of the UK's most inspirational and amazing founder startup stories. So love that. I listen to every one as soon as it drops. I guess on the book side, I've just read, this is this is a bit extreme, but I've just read something called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, uh, which blew me away. It's super amazing way to learn about how to get the most out of your team dynamic. And it's, and it's such a, it's written as a fiction, but I learned bucket loads. And I don't know, like, I, I feel like I don't want to split the podcast business side of things. Oh, obviously this podcast is going to be, I, I'm already listening to it nonstop. So this is going to become my, my, my rival for number one slot right with answer. Secret Leaders. Good answer. <laughs> what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started? Um, wow, Tuffy. I, I wish I had discovered earlier some of my favorite hacks to, uh, living a plant-based lifestyle without, without having to compromise. So things like I've, I've now these days found like amazing trainers, amazing, uh, which are, which are made of pineapple leather or amazing, um, belts that I don't have to feel bad about or of course amazing drinks and snacks and everything and so in the early days that stuff used to kind of uh, stress me out a whole load um, and I think the thing that I learned through that is that if you are giving the plant-based thing a go you've got to go easy on yourself and just take it step by step and you'll make mistakes and you'll find that you're in the middle of eating a packet of crisps and then they turn out to have bloody milk powder in them and you know that that's you, you that's just a journey and like be chilled about it. What do you do to keep yourself sane? <laughs> uh, I actually have a real thing about this. Okay, so um, a couple of things. One is, like I mentioned, I really deliberately spend a lot of time with really good friends, family, anyone who's experienced the founder journey, the ability to both support them and also them share all the crazy stuff going on with you, I find super therapeutic. And so that's a massive, massive deal for me. Um, I also have a, a, a coach who I see roughly once a month and even just spending a couple of hours externalizing uh, a lot of the challenges you're facing and unpacking them and working out how to learn and develop on them has a massive impact. And then I guess the, um, the, the two me things is I've become obsessed with sleep. I read Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker about nine months ago and now I'm uh, pretty religious about it. And so making sure I get a really solid amount of sleep uh, is is a is a key for me, um, as well as trying to make sure I exercise a good three times a week minimum. Um, we've got all plants football football crew every Thursday night, which is a good part of that, um, and, and, a, and a netball team on Monday. So like that gives us chance to like really let off some steam as well. Maybe Louis and me will come out of retirement and uh, join you. I'm, I'm not in retirement. Louis's not retired. Yeah, Louis's not retired. I, I've seen his Sunday league pictures. Yeah, yeah. Louis's probably too good for us. We, we, ours is just a kick around to, to sweat it out. But yeah, yeah. Mate, I love great, that. Thank yeah. you so much for coming yeah, in, man. It's been great. Oh, it's great. thank you so much, guys. I'm, by the way, I, I'm really hyped about what you guys are doing, so keep it up. It's awesome. Appreciate it. Looking forward to trying some, some of the new food. Yeah. Yep. Coming at you. 
This podcast is produced by Feevolution. It is edited by Bridie Addison-Child, hosted by Louis Blake, Damian Clarkson, and Judy Nadell. To learn more, visit feevolution.co slash business and check us out on Instagram at plantbasedbusiness, Louis underscore Blake, and Feevolution underscore. So please share this far and wide and we'll see you plantpreneurs next time.